And we have the privilege of having the ambassador of Egypt, Mohammed Tofik, uh, to speak to us now. And this has been a long-awaited event when Americans watched uh, the Egyptian elections from afar. Uh, many were consumed with fear based on ignorance of hearing phrases like the Muslim bro Brotherhood or Islamist activism or Islamist uh, perceptions and observations and issues. And if um, a so-called Islamist or a Muslim Brotherhood uh, leader or member were to win an election, <clears throat> how might that individual be received by the United States government? So we've crossed that uh, Rubicon, and we have an individual who's been in the diplomatic service as long as the National Council has existed, that is, since 1983. The ambassador uh, has previously served as chief of mission, his country's ambassador, uh, to Lebanon and Australia. And he served in a previous incarnation in the Embassy of uh, Egypt here in Washington, D.C. He received his Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from the University of Cairo and his Master's in International Organizations Law from the University of Paris. And this is quite fitting because in the Arab world, with one out of three of all Arabs being in Egyptians, Egyptians have participated in and been leading representatives in international organizations more than any other country in the Arab world. And indeed, one Egyptian became the Secretary General of the United Nations. Please join me in welcoming His Excellency Mohammed Tofik. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to, st to start by thanking Dr. Anthony for your kind introduction and your kind invitation uh, for me to be here today. Uh, particularly, I'd like to thank you for the fantastic work you and the Council have been doing to promote the relations between the United States and the Arab world. These relations are vital for the interests of both parties. And uh, I look forward to continued cooperation and continued efforts to promote these relations. Uh, I feel I have a special uh, role being the first ambassador of Egypt after the revolution to the United States. Um, it's a in a sense, a responsibility to relate to you what I have seen, what I have felt, to relate to you the experience, not only my personal experiences, but the experience of a nation, and through that point to try and look forward to the future. Uh, let, let me start by talking about uh, an image, a composite image, of El Tahrir some 20 months ago. Um, you, had, you had about half a million people in the square. Uh, you had people 
actually you had people demonstrating, but there were people cleaning the sidewalks. You actually had people uh, singing songs, uh, playing their guitars. You had people on top of the, of the lampposts waving flags. And everybody was hoping nobody would fall off. You had uh, uh, people who, who had brought their children along with them. You had a good friend of mine, uh, a novelist, a lady, who was holding a, uh, a placard with, writ with the words written, addressed to President Mubarak, please leave, I need a bath. She had been there for 15 days, and she wanted it to be over. Uh, you had my other friend, uh, uh, a novelist, who was uh, uh, relaying to me his uh, adventures, trying to smuggle into the, the square four boxes of cakes. I have no idea why he wanted, it was so vital to him that these cakes reached the demonstrators, but he had these, you know, uh, uh, adventures with the security forces, and in the end he managed to get the cakes into into the square, and actually, this is what you, you, you had. You, you were in the, in the middle of the square, and people would come and distribute food, free food, to everyone. So this, this was, uh, this was uh, an image that is very important, because this is the image that personifies, in a way, the Egyptian revolution, and will remain with us for many years to come, um, particularly because it was at this point that Egyptians felt that they had re-established contact with their history, with their thousands of years of civilization. The way they acted in those 18 days was completely different from what they had be do been doing in the previous decades. Now the Egyptians had put their feet on the, f on the track they knew they were going, they knew it wasn't going to be easy, but they had resolve. In Tahrir, what you had was not an angry mob. It was a people that was determined to fulfill their dreams. Uh, to try and, and analyze, really, the, 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 the picture, I think the, the best tool to deal with Egyptian society as a whole and its evolution is this constant balance that we are trying to achieve between change and continuity. Uh, whenever we go a little bit too far on this direction, we have this sort of inbuilt mechanism to, to go back to, to, to the center. And I think that explains why uh, the uh, evolution that took place in Egypt was not as violent as it could have been. And uh, uh, in a sense, uh, it explains why we have managed in a, a relatively short period of time to be uh, on the road to uh, democracy. Actually, the, uh, another important thing that we have to remember is that as the revolution took place, Egyptian, major Egyptian institutions 
remained intact. The army remained intact, the foreign service remained intact, uh, the judiciary remained intact. Now, that's very important because we will, we will find that um, the army made a promise. They said we're going to be here, we're going to take control of political power in Egypt for 18 months. And exactly 18 months after that, they had uh, given back control to the first elected president. Um, the judiciary, uh, if, if we look across history, um, when revolutions happen, you have some summary executions, you have people who are uh, uh, mistreated um, out of the judiciary system. And what happened in Egypt was that uh, all the people of the old regime, from the president downward, had fair trials. Uh, people accused of having committed the worst types of crimes, they still had their day in court, and many of them were acquitted. So the, the existence of this uh, institution of, of justice in Egypt, in a sense, allowed uh, the Egyptian people to go on with their revolution feeling safe and secure that they had this safety valve. Another important role that the judiciary played in, in Egypt was uh, after the revolution, of course, the constitution fell. So Egypt was left with a constitutional void. And the judiciary came in to make sure that the rule of law was still applied and that the transition would be done not only in an organized, but in a manner that would be perceived by everyone to be fair and all-inclusive. And particularly, I think this point is, is a, an important point uh, that we have seen in the 20 months that have passed and that will become more and more important in the coming uh, months and years. Uh, the revolution must continue to be all-inclusive. Uh, everyone in Egypt must feel ownership of the future of our country. Um, and actually, uh, another, uh, a few other institutions that were extremely important were the religious institutions, Al-Azhar, uh, the over a thousand year old uh, Muslim university, and the Coptic church, and the other churches in Egypt, they, they, they came in, 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 in a way, they joined the rest of the people. They didn't remain aloof. They didn't remain uh, outside the kinds of issues that were central to the moment. They came together, and there was uh, an initiative taken by Al-Azhar very early on to put together what they called uh, the house of the Egyptian family. And that was basically uh, uh, a number of people representing the different religious and civil institutions in the country. And these, this group of people together, they issued a number of very important documents relating to citizenship and how 
the most important element uh, in the future of Egypt was the right of citizenship for every Egyptian, irrespective of race, irrespective of religion, irrespective of wealth. This was a country that we were going to build for all our citizens. And then there was a number, another important document that was produced and that was relating to the basic rights like uh, uh, the, rights, the right to believe in whatever form you want, uh, the right to express yourself, the right to be creative. Uh, and now they're working on a third document which is related to women's issues in general. So uh, these groups, uh, both religious and, and uh, civil society groups, came together. They didn't wait for the government to do something. They came together in order to point the way for the future. And this is particularly important in for two reasons. First is that out of the revolution we have come with a people that has been empowered, a people that feel that, and, and I call it the revolution, people, um, some people look for other words like upheaval, like the changes. I, I insist on the word revolution because we have reached a state in which every individual in Egypt believes that their lives either have been completely changed or are going to be completely changed and they must participate in bringing about this change. Uh, this collective spirit, this collective feeling of empowerment is very important and it is the driving force uh, behind whatever the government does. Uh, the other reason why uh, uh, this issue is, is very important is because we're writing a new constitution. Now, a new constitution is, is a process that's not easy because you need to represent everybody. You need to take into account everybody's point of view. And this effort by the religious and civil society organizations, really, when all that came together, uh, it put a basis for the constitution writing process and uh, you will hear a lot of dissenting views about what should and should not be included in the constitution but at least we have a basis that everybody agrees upon and at least this sort of uh, points the way to the future. Uh, another important element is that for this political uh, road to democracy to succeed hand-in-hand uh, hand with that, we need to show the people that their, their own lives have improved and therefore the economy is essential. We need uh, economic achievement hand-in-hand hand with this political achievement. And um, luckily, the Egyptian economy uh, remains intact in terms of its infrastructure. The infrastructure has not been affected. Um, there has been a state of turmoil in society which has affected economic activity. But ju just to give you a number, um, in the year of the revolution, the year 2011, Egypt received 10 million tourists. So that was down from the previous number. 
by 30 or 40 percent. But 10 million people chose to come to visit Egypt. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of economic potential. And uh, now that we have the first democratic government, uh, we can say uh, very clearly that Egypt is open for business. Finally, as, 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 uh, before I end, I will end also with another image. Um, a few months ago, over a year ago actually, you had a number of demonstrations in downtown Cairo and the authorities in order to uh, bring an end to these demonstrations, they just built a wall made of huge concrete blocks that completely blocked the street. So there was, there's no way you could, you could cross the street and in a, in a, in a way that, that brought some, some peace. Uh, but how did the young demonstrators react to, to this? Uh, were they going to try and, and lob some, some stones or firebombs? Were they, trying, were they going to try and scale the wall? They, they did nothing of that. What they did is they painted on that wall the image of the street as though it was open. And you had the cars, and you had the trees, and the sidewalks. And that is why I think that with this creative, determined, non-violent approach of Egypt's youth, that our democracy will work. Thank you very much.